How many of y'all have ever um, read a story in Scripture, and as you're reading it, you've gone, or you think, that's weird. You know, talking donkeys. Y'all know that in the Old Testament, right? Kind of weird, kind of strange. You know, put aside your knowledge of God, your knowledge of the Bible. Uh, Put aside, act like today you've never heard anything about God, about the Bible, about faith. And put yourself in that place wherever you are right now in life stage. And if you were to look at some of these stories in the Bible, you'd have to go there weird. I mean, you have to. I mean, they just don't make sense. You know, for most of us um, that yeah, that have been raised in the church, you know, we heard about these stories like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We heard about it when we were three, four, five years old, about the same time we were hearing about Santa Claus and flying reindeer. So it kind of all just uh, makes sense, you know, as you grow up. But then now as an adult, if you were to think about some of these stories, they are just weird. They're crazy. They do not make sense. Um, I want to look at one this morning in particular. Uh, this is in First Kings uh, chapter 18. And it's where a prophet of God challenges the prophets of Baal. And he said, hey, we're going to have two bulls. You're going to take your bull and you're going to do your sacrifice. And I'm going to take one. I'm going to sacrifice to my God. So there's 450 prophets of Baal. There's one prophet of God, there's two bulls, and we're going to have this little challenge. You know, I even have an image up here that's about to come up that's even cartoonish, which I think goes to the idea of why we struggle sometimes with some of these biblical stories. But Elijah has the prophets of Baal, says, here's your bull. So they prepare for sacrifice. They cut the bull up and do all the things you're supposed to do, and they put it on a pile of wood. And Elijah says, okay, you're not going to light the fire. You're going to pray and call to your God and have him light the fire for this fire sacrifice. So all day, the prophets of Baal are praying, they're dancing, they're worshiping, they're doing all these things for fire to come down. At one point, Elijah even makes fun of them and taunts them. But they still persist all day and nothing happens. So near the end of the day, Elijah takes the second bull. He cuts it. He prepares it. He does all those things, puts it on a pile of wood, which would be typical. And he's going to pray that God's going to bring fire down. But he gets the people that were helping him before he does it. And he says, hey, go get a bunch of water and pour it on the boil, the bull and the wood. So they pour water on it. He goes, hey, go get more water and pour it on it. And then a the third time, go get more water. And poured on it to the point that there was a pool on the ground around the bull in the wood. And Elijah, the simple prayer, prays and God brings fire down. Burns up the bull, burns up the wood, evaporates all the water. Put your faith aside. That's just a crazy story. It doesn't make sense for us. We're like, how can things like that happen? Because in the natural world, there's no way things like that can happen. It's unnatural. It's not something we can see or feel or touch because it just doesn't make sense. It's supernatural. 
And see, without faith, supernatural things seem wild or crazy or weird. With faith, we can make sense of them. There's the natural and there's the supernatural. And luckily for those of us of faith, that's okay. They don't seem as crazy or as weird or as wild as they would. And that's where we, as people of faith, we live in that tension between the natural and the supernatural. And we live in those two worlds. You know, when people are not of faith that encountered us, they may think we're weird. It's not weird, it's supernatural. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about myself before I dive in more. Um, last almost 25 years, I've spent my time hanging out with teenagers. Um, I love doing student ministry. I've done it as a volunteer. I've done it as a paid people, paid person. You know, the, this group of people over here are my people. Uh, the eighth grade guys or the eleventh grade guys are my people. They know me. They know me well. They probably have stories about me that I probably don't want them to tell y'all. Um, and if you've heard any stories from a eleventh grader or an eighth grader about me, it's probably true. I'm a, I'm a middle schooler at heart, just the way I am. Um, it, it and God made me that way, and I embrace it. Um, you know, and, and I love ministering to teenagers. I've spent 25 years doing it, and I probably will continue doing it. Who knows? Uh, we'll see with that. Um, I've been part of, of Riverstone since the beginning. Uh, some of you that were in the beginning, you know, probably know me or, or I know you or whatever, but um, that's kind of who I am. Um, you know, on Monday nights, another group of my people. Monday nights, the last year, I've got to hang out with this awesome group of people. Uh, Tom and Betty Williams are sitting there. I get to hang out with them on Monday nights. They're some of my people. Uh, I get to allow them to pour into me on Monday nights. It's incredible. If you don't know Tom and Betty, get to know them. They are awesome people. And I, and, and I have the privilege of being able to say they're my people. And I appreciate them dearly. Um, so, yeah. Whoever. Yeah. Fine, fine. Um, so today, here's what I want to do. We're going to look at some Old Testament prophets um, and, and give you some context. Uh, we're about a thousand, about a hundred years beyond when Solomon built the temple. You know, David raised the money to build the temple and Solomon built it. David didn't get to see it to fruition, but Solomon finished it. And was that that? So you have Solomon, wisest man that ever lived, you know, is what he's known for. So Solomon builds the temple. That was good. That was awesome. That was great. There was a downside to Solomon. Solomon had many foreign wives. And through his many foreign wives, he allowed uh, idol worship to enter into Israel. Or re-enter. It had been there before David had kind of done away with most of it. So you have Solomon builds a temple, but then yet he allows idol worship to enter into Israel. And so for a hundred years, all the kings that followed Solomon, the idol worship kind of continued to expand, continued to get more prominent, continued to be, become almost central to Israel. And that's where we're going to pick up today. And the prophet Elijah entered the scene. And through Elijah's faithfulness, he was able to turn Israel back to God. The story that I opened with was the story of Elijah when he challenged the prophets of Baal. There's many stories of Elijah where he did supernatural things for God. 
Um, he was a prophet that helped Israel kind of get back on or get back on track. Um, so a hundred years after Solomon built the temple, Elijah comes on the scene. And then at some point, we're not going to talk about Elijah much tonight. We're actually going to talk about Elisha, which was a mentor, mentee of Elijah. And and you're going to, I'm today. It, it, my tongue is going to get twisted probably multiple times trying to talk about Elijah and Elisha. So I'm going to emphasize the Jah and the Shah just to help y'all understand. It, it's one of those things. This is one of the hardest scriptures to teach on because of those two names. And, and you're going to, at times, I'm going to get twisted between them, but it's Elijah and Elisha. And so, Elisha is out plowing a field. He was a farmer. His family was a farmer. He was out plowing a field. Elijah comes up, takes his cloak, throws a corner over on the corner of Elisha, and basically was saying, hey, you're going to be my successor. Elisha leaves his family, leaves everything, and goes and spends eight years with Elijah. He's a servant to Elijah. He's watching Elijah. He's learning from Elijah of everything it is to be a, a, to be a prophet of Israel. Eight years. This is kind of a sidetrack, but you know, when I think about today, when we think about mentoring or think about discipleship, we don't think about eight years. We think about six months. A year, maybe two years. I don't have time. That that could be a whole other sermon in and of itself. It's just kind of a passing note of how we maybe approach discipleship or how we maybe approach mentorship. Probably could take a, a relook at when you think about these two guys. Eight years together. That Elisha's getting to watch Elijah do his thing. So that's where we're kind of picking up um, in this story is... Um, in the middle of the two of them and kind of them doing their deal and everything they're doing, um, this, the people of Israel were turning back to God. Uh, they were beginning to, to worship God like they should. And, and things were at a good place in the history of Israel. You know, Israel had this roller coaster of a ride, as you know, throughout their history. Good times, bad times. This was beginning to be one of those good times is where we're going to jump into Second Kings right now. Uh, with this story. It's going to be Second Kings chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start off in verse 1. If you've got your Bibles or it will be up on the screen. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Galgag. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said, As surely as the Lord will live, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets of Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha said. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. Elijah, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And so he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as I live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two men walked on. We see this interchange. 
between these two. And it's this almost three questions and three responses. There's a place in the New Testament we read about Jesus and Peter with three questions and three responses. Remember after Peter denied Jesus, Jesus asked him, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. There's something about this three questions and three responses that has merit that I think we can learn from. In this context, Elijah was giving Elijah, Elisha, see, I'm already getting twisted, an opportunity to kind of walk away gracefully. Elijah understood the responsibility, the weight, the stress of being the prophet of Israel was going to be for anybody. And although they had spent eight years together, he wanted to give him one last out. Gracefully. Hey, if you don't want to become my successor, I'm going to let you slide on out. So we asked him once, do you want out? No, I don't want out. They travel a little while longer. Hey, you can, you're, you can get out. You want out? No, I don't want out. And the third time, do you want it? He was given the opportunity to walk away. But Elijah was going to have nothing to do with it. He knew he had been called to be the successor. And he was embracing it. He was accepting it and accepting the responsibility that comes along with it. Pick up where I left off. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped in the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck it with, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over dry land. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, said Elisha. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you will see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not be. This idea of a double portion comes out of um, their culture. If you were a father and you were dying or died, a double portion of your estate would go to the firstborn son. So say if you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep, the firstborn son would get more than all the rest of the sons. It was called a double portion. It's the way, in essence, it was that the firstborn son was the successor to the father. That's the way their culture operated. So this idea of double portion goes along with that. You know, so in essence, it's this, hey, am I going to be your successor? Not not because they were, you know, blood fathers and sons, the two of them, but more successor in the terms of the prophetic successor. But eight years ago, as I've already explained, Elijah came up and threw his cloak around Elisha, already making that connection of you're going to be my successor. So right before 
Elijah is about to leave earth. He asked Elisha one last question. Is there anything I can do for you? And Elisha's response is a double portion of your spirit. He's not asking for a double portion of anything else. It's a double portion of his spirit. See, Elisha had watched Elijah for eight years. He'd seen him go through the motions. He'd seen him do his deal. He'd seen him do all the things he did as a prophet. He was going to have no problem repeating those things and doing those things. He'd watched it intently for eight years. He was going to easily assume the office of prophet with no problem. He was going to be able to do everything he needed to do. But Elijah realized something very important. He could go through the motions. He could do all those things. Without the Spirit of God, they would be meaningless. And so his last request to Elijah was, I need you to pray for me and pray one thing. That the Spirit of God would fill me. That's what, the, that's what it is. He goes, I can't do this unless the Spirit of God has filled me. There's no way I can be the prophet of Israel without it. And that was his final request. You know, that's no different from us today. You ever try to do ministry without the Spirit of God filling you? It don't work. Because here's the reality. All of us are humans. We can go through motions and do things of our flesh But if we do it without the Spirit of God, it's lifeless. It's dead. It's not going to have any internal consequence. Remember I opened up natural, supernatural. We can choose to reach out to people, to love people, to minister in the natural. It's humanitarianism. It's good. Or we can choose to do it in the supernatural. With the Spirit of God filling us. And then it changes the course of human history. And we have that choice. We have that choice to minister in the natural or minister in the supernatural. And it's easy prayer. Lord, fill me. You know, it's a prayer that I say every morning because I'm a broken, leaky vessel. God can fill me today and tomorrow I will not be full. Just that, that's, the, that's the way it works. It's a prayer I need to speak every morning. Lord, fill me today so I can do the things I need to do. I don't say the rest of that, but it's a simple, Lord, fill me. So here we've got this. The final thing that Elisha is asking of Elijah is, will you pray this for me? But see, Elisha could have prayed it himself. Why did he need Elijah to pray it? Because sometimes we need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and pray stuff for us. There's this symbolic thing that happens. Um, there's a Ghanaian proverb. If y'all, are, if y'all know Michael Mosley, um, I think Mike's been here some. He said this years in, ago, and I embrace this. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. 
Now you could say, hey, that's not a scriptural proverb. There's scripture all over that. Son of God, Jesus comes to earth to do ministry. He's son of God. He could have done it alone, did he? No. He chose 12 guys to do it with him. He could have done things a lot faster by himself. But no, he chose 12 guys to do it with him. Elijah could have done that last eight years a lot faster if he didn't have Elisha with him. But yet he chose because there's spiritual truth in that. Christianity was never intended to be a solo venture. If we try to do it alone, we're going to fail. Christianity was intended for us to walk with brothers and sisters in Christ and to hold each other up and support each other and pray for each other and pray at times that we would be filled. Elisha understood that and he embraced it. And his final request was, will you pray that I would be filled? Pick up in verse 11 where I left off. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses A fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him. Um, For Old Testament prophets... They had a cloak or a mantle that they wore wherever they went. It was what designated them or signified them as a prophet. It it was an animal skin. Think of it almost as a coat, but it draped over their shoulder. It was called their mantle or cloak. And so when Elijah came into a town, a lot of times he would be recognized by that mantle, by that cloak. It signified that he was the prophet of Israel. So... His last minutes on earth, he ascends up to heaven. He doesn't die. Again, it's one of those, I can't explain why God chose to do this one that way. But he ascends. And as he's ascending, his mantle, his cloak, falls off and falls to the ground. Eight years ago, he had picked Elisha as his successor. Now, notice something very important. That cloak fell off of him as he's ascending. It did not fall on the shoulders of Elisha. Fell to the ground. It was laying on the ground. Elisha had a choice to make. Did he want to pick that thing up? And put it on? Or do you want to just leave it there? There's a reason for that. Every one of us in this room is called to serve God in some way. We all are. If you don't know your calling yet, I'd say push into that. But I believe as the body of Christ, we're all called. You know, when when we look, we're a body. Some are the hands, some are the eyes, some are the feet, all of that. So every one of us in this room has a role and a calling. Elisha was called eight years ago to be the successor of Elijah. But at that moment in time was where he had to embrace that calling. He had to choose to pick up that mantle, that cloak, and put it on. He could have said no and walked away. God gave him, gives us that choice. 
So for each one of us, something we can take out of the scripture today is, are we embracing the mantle that God has put out in front of us? You know, and and as we read the story, you read about the two of them were there as he goes up the cloak falls. There were 50 other prophets sitting over here watching. And they all knew it was about to happen. Don't know why. Scripture doesn't tell us, but they knew it was to happen. You know, what's one of the most amazing times for any of us as believers is where we're one of those 50 sitting over there watching someone else pick up their mantle. Like for me, I've had the privilege, the joy of watching Logan come into Vintage as our new youth pastor and pick up that mantle and put it on him. He said yes. Now, is he fully ready? Is he fully prepared? No, but God's going to get him there. You know, and, and that's the beauty of why I love working with teenagers. I have the privilege of seeing many of them as they transition into college, post-college, out of high school, pick up mantles. Pitt, Connor. I've been able to watch them pick up mantles to go serve God in other parts of the world. It's amazing when you're one of those that get to watch. It's a joy. And I think for me, that's why I love student ministry. Is to get to see even guys, Pitt and Connor are going across the ocean to serve. But then I get to watch guys like Matt pick up a mantle right here and serve the youth here. Which is awesome type of thing. So, I'm going to keep going. Um, We're going to flip, jump. I, I, I wish I could take five weeks to talk about Elisha. I can't almost do it service in one day, but um, I'm going to try to do the best I can. So we were in 2 Kings 2. I'm going to jump over to 2 Kings 6. I'm trying to hit kind of three high points from the story of Elisha uh, this morning. Um, it's three as I prayed this week. I just felt like God was saying, here's three I want to hit. So now I'm going to jump over to verse 6 uh, and continue reading and then kind of hit my last one. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp at such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because their Aramaeans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on guard at such a place. This enraged the king of Aram. He summons his offer and demand of them, will you not tell us which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? So Israel's in battle with an invading army. They're under attack. And it seems like the army of Israel is always a step or two ahead of the invading army. And the invading army is assuming there's a spy in their camp that is telling the king of Israel, hey, they're heading that way, they're heading that way, they're over there, they're over there. Because every time it's a step ahead, there wasn't a spy. There was a prophet that was full of God working in the supernatural. You know, a lot of times we have battles, we have wars in our lives. I'm not talking about the physical, but you know what I mean. 
What would it look like for us every time we're at battle or at war if we had a prophet that was able to give us a heads up? Hey, you're going to be attacked on that side today. You're going to be attacked on that side tomorrow. What would it look like? It would change everything. Israel had that right now for whatever reason. Let me pick up. So, verse 11. This enraged the king of Aram. He summons officers and demands of them, Will you not tell me which of us is on the side of king of Israel? None of us, my lord king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The record... The report came back that he is in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and strong forces there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So he sent a hundred soldiers, horses and chariots to go get one prophet. hundred to go get him. Went by night, surrounded the city. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early in the morning... Uh, and this is a servant of Elisha. So he wakes up and goes out early in the morning after they surrounded. An army of horses and chariot had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. As he goes out of the house they're in and sees a hundred soldiers and horses and chariots. And he goes back into Elisha and says, what should we do? Verse 16, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Notice Elisha's prayer is, wasn't, Lord, send an army. The Lord had already sent an army of a thousand angels that were surrounding Elisha. The Lord had already been at work. The Lord already had the answer. The servant just could not see those a thousand angels. He was spiritually blind. You know, for us, there's many a times we can't see things spiritually. We're spiritually blind. We miss things. We can't see them. Whatever it is, God's at work and we're unable to see it. And this is where we at times need someone else to say a prayer. Lord, open my eyes so that I can see. It goes back to the Ghanaian proverb said earlier. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. See, here's the reality. I, I, I get the awesome privilege of being in relationship with Logan. I need Logan to pray that prayer for me. I need Logan to pray that my eye, Mike's eyes would be open. But the reverse is true. He needs me to pray that for him. As we do this dance of ministry together, we need it. Because there's times I'm going to be spiritually blind. There's times he's going to be spiritually blind. But together, God can do amazing things. It's why so often we see in Scripture Jesus sending disciples out two by two. 
There's something that happens in that that we can't do in and of ourselves. We're called to partner with brothers and sisters of Christ. We're called to do ministry together, do life together. I need Tom and Betty praying for me, and they need me praying for them. That's that's what the Christian walk was intended to be. Not these solo ventures that a lot of times a lot of us, me especially, end up trying to do because I want to do things faster or, or whatever reason, you know, I make an excuse for. So, for you, where are you at today? Are you at a place that you're not so full of the Holy Spirit right now? You've had a hard week, a hard day, you know, maybe last week, yesterday you were full, but things of the world have taken over. And maybe you're at a point that you need someone to pray for you. For you to be filled. We're leaky vessels. We can pray it individually each morning ourselves, and we should, but there's times we need others to pray it for you, for us. Are you at a place where you know you've got a call on your life, but the mantle's sitting right there, and you haven't picked it up? You're scared. You're worried. Whatever. I... You know, I'll, I'll say I, I ran from a call on youth ministry for many years, so I embraced it. Um, and it's not easy. Probably one of the hardest things we're going to do is, and I'm not talking about a call to full-time ministry. Each one of us is called to serve the body in some way here at Vintage. Every one of us. Have you embraced your call, or is the mantle still sitting there? You know, think about your response today. Is that what you need to do? Are you at a place that... You're spiritually blind right now in some area. And you need someone to pray, oh, Lord, open my eyes. I'm going to ask uh, the ministry team to start coming back up. But I want to look at two passages um, as they come. Um, Luke 6:39. Can a blind man guide and lead a blind man? Won't they both end up in a ditch? This is why we need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us. Times pray for us, guide us. And then a passage in Proverbs. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. You know, that's why I love vintage and why I love Steve. Steve brings vintage, brings vision to vintage. So that this passage is not true for us as a body. We need to be living in a place of vision. We need to be having people speak vision into us and over us and through us. Um, Or we're going to be spiritually blind. So as we close out this morning, um, we're going to have prayer teams up here. And those prayer teams are there for whatever you need them. But this morning, if you need prayer to be filled, they're there for that. If you need prayer because you're struggling to pick up a mantle, they'll 
we'll pray that with you. Or if you need prayer for your eyes to be open, they'll pray that with you. Any of those things. You know, and here's the reality. Sometimes we don't even know we're spiritually blind and missing things. Sometimes we may need to say, hey, I just pray that my eyes would be open. We may not even know what they need to be open to. But I think that's my challenge is all three of those up on the screen. Today, tomorrow, next week, next year. Those are rhythms of life we need to always do. Pray that we would be filled and have others praying that we would be filled. Pick up mantles because mantles will change. We may have a calling to this one day and God may change it. So, I mean, that's picking up a mantle isn't a one-time thing, I don't believe. It can be each every day. And then we always need to have be praying their eyes would be open. You have an opportunity for that this morning, but it's in each and every day. So as we close out, we have offering baskets. Um, please feel free to give. We have communion over here um, if you want to partake. Uh, and then we're going to have ministry teams. They'll come on up that are willing to pray for you and with you this morning. Um, I'm going to pray in a second, and that's going to be the end of our service. At that point in time, you are released to go if you need to. But if you want to stay for ministry, feel free. All those things I named. But if if God is done with you, uh, you're released as soon as I get done praying. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for today. I thank you for the story of Elisha. And just, I pray for me that I would be able to embrace these things each and every day. That I would pray, I would be filled, but I also would ask others to pray that for me. The brothers and sisters that I walk through faith with. I pray that I would pick up my mantle each day. And I pray that would be open each and every day. So now guide us in this time of ministry. Speak to us. I pray you would speak words of life, words of affirmation, words of your spirit into the lives of us. 